Hey everyone, and welcome to a special series of Houndcast. We're excited to bring you the third of three episodes centered around the topic of planned giving. Our guests will be sharing advice that hopefully you can remember and take to your own team of experts. My name is Luke Smith. I'm a class of 2011 graduate, and I'm a leadership gift officer here at Moravian, coming to you today from the Zinzenko New Media Center in Reeves Library. By now, you hopefully recognize my voice as the host of this mini-series uh, that's airing during National Estate Planning Awareness Week. And today I'm excited to welcome Dan Nagito, proud member of the class of 1978, certified financial planner, chairman of Market Street Financial Advisors, and the author of three different books on estate planning. Dan, welcome. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm great. I just wasn't aware it was National Estate Planning Week. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> are you making that? Are you making that up, or no, is that I'm for not, real? I'm not making that up. This is wow. going to be launching during uh, the week of October 18th, and that, that coincides with National Estate <laughs> Awareness. Week. I have to make sure I put that on my calendar. Yeah. Today's podcast is the third and final in our series focused on plan giving, and we're going to talk about gifts of non-cash items, and also touch on this particular expertise of yours, Dan, which is trusts and how they can help individuals with their own plan. You know, sometimes people want to give something that's not cash. What are some examples that you know, you've seen? The biggest example of planned giving gifts has been in the area of appreciated securities. And for that, the absolute greatest tool like ever invented in any financial world is this thing called a charitable remainder trust. A charitable remainder trust, and it's really not as well understood as it probably should be and certainly not talked about enough by financial advisors. And that's because it's, it has some complexities to it. But you know, many, many years ago, when I graduated from Moravian, I was working for an investment firm. And uh, I actually was applying for a job at Moravian and planned giving. And I had, and I wanted to get up to speed on what this what planned giving was all about. And I read about this thing called the Charitable Remainder Trust. And as I'm reading about it, I'm saying, this can't possibly be legal. But it was, it was in the Eternal Revenue Code. It's 1969 tax code. So I got so pumped up on these wonderful things called charitable remainder trusts and how they fit into the investment world, specifically in uses of sales of appreciated property, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, art, whatever. And as luck would have it, I did not get the job as plan giving officer. I was not good enough. And they were smart to do that because I was really not, not really smart at the time. So I, I went back with what, armed with this vehicle. And I've been running with it ever since. This was, that was 19, I graduated in 78. That was 1980. And it's been my career since 1980 using charitable remainder trusts to show people how to accumulate, preserve, and transfer wealth while doing something relatively magnificent for their alma mater or their church or their own donor advised fund. So that's how I got involved with these child bander trusts. And basically, you know, when you look at what these things are, there exists a tool that if you have the slightest bit of love in your heart for Moravian, you know, if you want to do something for Moravian, that allows you to transfer an asset that has appreciated in value into this trust, this box. And you put that asset in the trust, and the trust then takes that asset and sells it on your behalf. But when it sells that asset, the trust pays no capital gains tax. Let me tell you something. That's a big deal. 
especially as the tax laws have, are changing and are continually change. Capital gains tax is, is an enormous burden on, on a business person, an investor, because they take the risk, they accumulate wealth, and then when they go to sell it, the government steps in and says, okay, now you get to pay a, an extra you know, 20.3% tax, 20.8% tax on your gain. And then the current tax bill being discussed right now, that can go all the way up to 40%. So Charitable Remainder Trust says, okay, I'll take your asset and we'll put it in this trust and we'll sell that asset. And by the way, we can be you. You could be your own trustee of your trust. So you can sell that asset inside the trust, but since that trust is someday going to go to benefit charity, when it sells that asset, it pays no capital gains tax. So 100% of your growth, 100% of your gain stays in the trust and then can be reinvested for the next big part of the charitable remainder trust, which is income to you. So you can take an asset, transfer it into a trust, sell it, avoid the tax on capital gain, and then use that asset to generate income for your life, a period of years for your life or jointly with your spouse's life. And that income comes out and is, is taxable to you when it comes out, but you're getting increased income from an asset that wasn't generating much. And on top of that, because you're someday when you pass away or after a period of years, that asset's going to go to Moravian, you get a tax deduction today for something you plan on doing when you die. Bypass capital gains tax, increase your income, and a big tax deduction while creating a charitable legacy. I mean, how is that a bad thing? Sounds pretty great to me. Okay, give me your money. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, in your experience, how about the purpose of the, the ultimate charitable gift through a trust? From my experience, when someone is making a substantial gift in, in, in any type of manner to Moravian, they like to designate it to a special spot on campus, a place close to their heart. From your experience, what do you typically see when you're working with individuals in different you know, charitable organizations? People do like to pinpoint how their gifts are going to be used, where they're going to go. Is it going to an endowed scholarship fund? Is it going to benefit a specific department like the you know athletics or, or the blue and gray or something like that? And I'm finding that more people than you would think. When you talk about plan giving, a lot of times people think, oh, these are, these are major, these are major donors that are giving it a plan giving. You do not have to think of yourself that way. Anything you have that's appreciated in, in, in value can go into a plan gift that can benefit the college and benefit your family. When we think about philanthropists, we all know who the philanthropists are. They, their names are on the side of buildings. You're in a library named after a philanthropist. You're, we all know who the philanthropists are. But what we don't realize is that we're all philanthropists. We're just accidental philanthropists. We pay taxes. And a philanthropist gives his money to the college, and the college uses it for specific uses that the philanthropist wants to be used. As a taxpayer, you give your taxes to the government, and then these geniuses get to determine how your money is going to be used. And they spend your money on your behalf. So why not take it away from them and give it to a trust or the college or plan gift so that you can pinpoint exactly how you want your money to be used? Makes a lot of sense. So, Dan, are there different types of trusts? And if there are, what are some high-level differences 
between the varying types. You think of the, the plan giving world and the types of trusts. Plan giving differentiates from traditional giving. The traditional giving is, you know, I'll give it to you now. Plan giving is I'll give it to you later, uh, much later, usually when I die. And in the remainder trust world, there's two different types. There is an annuity trust, and then there's what's called a unit trust. An annuity trust is very, very simple. You put your asset in, it's sold, the capital gains tax is avoided, and now it's reinvested and pays you a fixed income, a fixed dollar amount for the rest of your life or for the rest of the term. It's a, you know exactly what that dollar amount is. And no matter what happens inside the trust, that's what your income is going to be, fixed annuity. The other version of that is called a unit trust. And a unit trust pays you a fixed percentage of whatever the trust is valued at every year. So at the end of the year, we take a look at the trust and it's worth $100,000. And you have a 6% distribution on that trust, 6% of 100,000, using my Moravian level math, is $6,000. Did I get that right? I you think got I that right. Good. I didn't use my calculator. So I get my $6,000 and over the course of the following year, the trust is invested. And if the trust grows in value, God willing, uh, then you get a 6% of that fair market value as it grows. Annuity trust, fixed payment, Unit trust, fixed percentage of a varying uh, amount of uh, principal. There are other types of trusts that is pays the college first. That's called the lead trust. I'm talking about remainder trust. I live in the remainder trust world. But a lead trust is a great estate planning tool because what it does is it takes an asset, sets it aside in a trust, and the income, or reverse of a remainder trust, the income is paid to Moravian for X number of years. And then at the completion of that trust, the balance of the trust goes on to your heirs, the next generation. With interest rates being what they are, that's a very effective estate planning tool. And by the way, this is not do-it-yourself stuff. You have got to talk to an attorney, an accountant, financial advisors, and question them. Get the uh, sense of their knowledge level because this is this is complex stuff. Even though the IRS has created the documents that they want you to use, you can literally go online and get the documents. You want to get the guidance of a professional advisor. And that's something at the university that we're always advocating in our offices. Go to your trusted team of experts. Yes. Um, you know, we can help you with the actual destination of the gift on campus. We love to talk about that kind of thing, stuff. That being said, you're a trusted financial advisor. How do you and your team work to determine when you know a charitable remainder trust is a solution for your client? Well, when folks come to see me and any financial advisor, really, that financial advisor is going to start out by doing a, an asset inventory and a sense of who you are. We call it a fact finder. These are your goals. These are your objectives. This is your age. This is you know what you want to do with your life. And in that fact-finding process, we're going to ask you, how do you feel about charity? Does that, is, that, is that something you want to put in, in your plan? And now, I'm not looking for someone to say, oh, I have to give a gift to charity. Because a lot of people don't realize that they want to give a gift to charity until you lay it out in front of them as a viable alternative to paying taxes. And they give the response to us of saying, I didn't realize that I could give $10,000 to Moravian College instead of giving $10,000 to Uncle Sam. And I'd much rather go to Moravian College. Well, they have to be taught that. So normally, 
just about everybody who walks through my doors is cons I consider a candidate f for a charitable gift because we have to educate them. But you know, in a, in a fact finder, if somebody comes in to you and talks about using a charitable trust as a tax planning tool or as a dodge, not a candidate. They could have all the money in the world. It's not a tax tool. It's not a tax planning tool. It's a legacy creation tool that has a great tax benefit to it. But you don't want to lead with the concept of being just a way to avoid taxes or minimize your taxes, although it is. Just about everybody is a candidate, especially when they get to the point of seeing a financial advisor. That aligns with what we hear in our industry as well, is the top motivations for donors are the legacy component. It's not the tax you know, avoidance component. Now, you'll be surprised. You know, when I started out in business as a kid, I just, I never could, I couldn't get my head around that. But, you know, my client base, you know, I'm 65, and my client base now is older than me. And now it's a it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And unfortunately, I've had some people who have passed on, and you see the impact. You know, once you get to see the impact that these plans, these gifts have on the, the charities that they love, man, I want to tell you something. That's religion. You'll get that in a hurry. I believe that you have to teach people that there are options out there. Lay it out. Look, these are smart people. They'll make up their own mind. I want to give. I don't want to give. By the way, I didn't say this throughout the whole process here, but charitable trusts are irrevocable gifts. So they have to be told that once you set this trust up, you're not taking the money out. So that's a big decision. Yeah, certainly. Well, we certainly appreciate all of your expertise. Once again, Dan, thank you for joining us on today's episode and for contributing to this special series of Houndcast. My pleasure. I'm sure our audience learned something today that they'll be able to take to their own experts. This concludes our series on planned giving. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who joined us for one, two, or maybe all three topics during National Estate Planning Awareness Week. Know that Moravian's Office of Development and Alumni Engagement, we're here to help you with your plans. We're lucky to have trusted members in our community like Dan, Steve from Cornerstone, who you might have heard from, and Kelly Rindock to provide helpful advice. Take care. Thanks again to all of our listeners and our guests. And most importantly, go Hounds. Go Hounds.